What's going on, everyone? Mike here with the Turntable Teachers, and class is officially back in session. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. If you're brand new to the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you could take a second to hit that subscribe button, whether you're watching on YouTube or a streaming uh, service like Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, we would really appreciate it. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to leave us a like and a comment. And uh, I'm back with another guest speaker episode, everyone, and really excited for this one. We got Night School episode 59. And on this episode, I have Zevi joining the podcast. He is a producer, uh, an electronic EDM producer, as well as a DJ. And uh, he's going to be in, amongst many other things as well, and which we'll get into. And uh, we welcome Zevi to the show. Zevi, thanks so much for being Thank, here, man. Super of pumped course. to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, it's my first uh, YouTube video podcast, I think. So I'm excited to be on here. Perfect. Yeah, there we go. So we're breaking some ground here today. I like it. Absolutely. Good stuff. So before we start, I uh, we have a more of an interesting connection than you might think, and uh, this will be this will be fun. You'll like this. So uh, you can tell Nate Hollenberg, okay, that it was much more difficult prepping for him in high school basketball than it was prepping your no episode way. today. No, so you interviewed Nate in high school. I did not. So I'll give you some context. <laughs> I I used to coach at Framingham High basketball okay when you guys were in high school okay i was a senior in college and i was doing my student teaching awesome. at framingham high and i was one of their head scouts so i went to scout no north way. back when they had you uh sorry um uh nate and yeah, yeah i was about to say I, I, I played freshman in jv i got a story about that in a second but cool continue. yeah yeah i uh yeah so went back when they had ethan wright and nate and uh, that was a really, really good team. And it was very, very difficult to prepare and prep and scout them. Uh, so I had a much easier go uh, doing this episode. So I thought I'd start off with yeah, that. So a shout sure. out to Nate. He was a great did you, player. Uh, did you know my buddy uh, Jason Shapiro or his brother Aaron Shapiro? I think they played. We, I don't know if they played varsity. Or I think they did probably. Aaron Shapiro was on JV when I was there. He was a sophomore. Yeah, I, yep. There you go. There you go. So let me, can I get to tell a quick story? Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So I played freshman in JV basketball at North. Um, I love basketball. I played growing up. And freshman year, we probably had like 17 guys on the team and like eight guards. And I didn't play a ton. We played like – we kind of played everyone somewhat evenly because it's freshman basketball. But mm-hmm. I just, um, you know, it's hard to get everyone time. And – all I know is, like, my greatest game of my basketball career was at Framingham freshman year. I, like, had 12 points in the quarter, and it was the highlight of my life. So I love it. That's awesome. Bringing back some good memories. Yeah, yeah. No, like I said, it was on a That's whim. Fine. I was student teaching under the head coach at the time, and I've been, I had been coaching for a number of years. I played, uh, I played throughout high school and was on a, a part of a state championship team for Danvers, and then uh, oh, tried, awesome. tried. Yeah, it was great, man. I enjoyed it. And uh, I tried playing at Framingham State. Didn't really work out. Got into the teaching and coaching, though. And uh, I, I coach freshman basketball now, actually. I'm the head, head freshman coach at Andover High. So that's uh, – Oh, so, awesome. Uh, yeah, but people that know, hey, people that don't realize, right, if you're not from Newton, right, or Massachusetts at all, like, it, no shame that you didn't play varsity Newton North. Like, that is a <laughs> – I wouldn't have made the Newton North team. Like, that team is 
really, a really legit good. program, yeah. Oh, like one of the premier Division One public school programs in the state for sure. So anybody, any high school basketball, Massachusetts high school basketball junkies in here are probably like, yeah, they're they're pretty good. They usually make deep runs in the tournament, shit like that. So, but anyway, so hey, Zevi, welcome to the show, man. Uh, so and I'm, sure Nate, I'm sure, and I'm sure Nate's That's here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure Nate's here in this at some point. He's probably laughing. So he probably has no idea who I am, obviously. But I was, again, just a scout for framing him high at the time. But uh, he, a lot of, a lot of good This is going to make memories. him way too happy and excited remembering his glory days. <laughs> exactly. But, so uh, so, he, so he's your manager, though, correct? Because I, I, was, I was realizing that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he is. Um, I've actually been friends with him since I was, like, two years old, basically. So awesome. um, we have a pretty sweet relationship. I'm lucky to have him. Yeah, I don't know him too well personally, but again, I recognize the name so much, and I and immediately it was so funny. I was like, he definitely played for Newton North, like no question. Yeah. I remember, I, it was one of those like because the, the, they were the two guys, him and Ethan, Ethan Wright. Like those are like with, uh, Coach Torbert. Shout out him, who's out in Arizona now. But uh, he was like, you gotta. Those are the two we gotta worry about. So make sure you get good enough on those two. And I was like, all right, I will. So I just I just remember that's funny things you remember even years later. So too funny, man. But anyway. Um, Welcome to the show, Zev. You were here, obviously here to talk. Well, we'll get into more sports later, but I definitely want to dive into some music right now because sure. uh, that's your that's your baby, that's your big thing. You're of course a EDM producer. I just recently got put onto your music. I'm a huge fan. Um, I, I really am enjoying a lot of the stuff you're putting out, and I know you used to be a DJ as well. Still doing that a little bit, yes or no? Yeah, for sure. I mean, during the pandemic, there's not, not so much. There's many DJ opportunities. Right. Obviously, um, I did a couple live stream things, but cool haven't gotten back into the you know the live DJing thing quite yet but I'm really hoping to start getting back into it soon so yeah fantastic so tell me talk to me a little bit about like the difference between DJing and producing like obviously like there's a difference but like in terms of like the mindset and execution of it because I think like the stigma is that like DJs a lot of times oh they just press play right so like there's so much more into it than that like or like there can be so talk to me a little bit yeah. about like the difference between the two and like which you totally. sort of that's gravitate a, towards that's a more. great question and I originally like you know I've always been interested in music but I was always like I don't want to be the DJ because like everyone like just yells at the DJ and like request songs especially like in like middle school high school growing up and I'm like they just press play and play a song and I have no interest um and then, so really, like, my first start into music was all about production and interest in that. And then I kind of started to learn more about DJing and realized that it can be something that's artistic and pretty cool. And, like, when it comes to DJing, there's such a wide variety of DJs out there, especially now, right? Like, you get everything from the, like, A-track, right? He's, like, a global DJ, like, comp competitor, like a former one, and... He can like do like very incredible artistic on the go mixing. Most like famous DJs can't do anything that he does. Um, so that's like an art form in and of itself. And I, you know, I try to be good and be good like technically at doing, but I, you know, I'm not that kind of like a competition DJ, and I don't use like vinyl and that kind of stuff. Um, but the real difference comes down to like, for me at least, like the mindset and who, what you're kind of there to do right when I sit down to make music it's like it, it started for myself and really I try to make it still be that way and you know, whoever I'm collaborating with to make something great that makes me like you know feel something and be have an emotional connection to it and make something that I gets me excited and I love and DJing you know it's more it's a performance and that's, that's what it is it's making other people happy and 
it's you know makes me happy to make other people happy but it's just a different mindset of what you're trying to accomplish mm -hmm. interesting so in terms of like so when, when did you start like actually djing seriously like events and things like that so again this is kind of how nate became my manager at the beginning it was um he went to harvard and i went to tufts in, in you know boston area yep. and i had done the production thing and it's kind of like the the classic transition like edm producer and plays live dj like you know this was 2016 so like the chainsmokers were coming up and mm -hmm. avici had been doing his thing and kaga was coming up so it was like all of a sudden this like producer dj explosion um and he had a birthday party and he was like do you want to dj the birthday party and i was like sure why not and then i kind of i went to guitar center and i like rented one of those mixing boards and i like and i just learned um from the internet which is where i do most of my learning anyways and yeah. i was like this is pretty fun it's pretty cool and figured you can do some pretty cool shit and transitions and even just you know playing songs that people don't know or like mashups or remixes that people don't know is fun um and then just learning how to mix like even at a basic level is kind of it really isn't just pressing play it's i'm not going to sit here and say like it's something that's super super difficult um to do like base like basic mixing but you know it's still uh something to learn and mm. something that's pretty fun yeah, there's a learning curve with a lot of these types of things, right? I mean, regardless of what you're learning. I mean, even like me doing this podcast, like there was a learning curve for that. You know, I, I, had, I had some background in video and audio editing, but again, there's it, it's very different. So I mean, that's, that's interesting. I love that. Um, talk to me. So tell me a little bit about what was some of like your favorite events that you've done uh, DJing. And th and, uh, yeah, for sure. That stands out? Um, so my favorite event has to be, it was kind of a off, I wouldn't even call it an event, maybe more like an after party. Um, where I did like an opening set for Loud Luxury probably at like 3 a.m. in a frat house. That's cool. Um, it was pretty cool. It was actually, I was at a Loud, or I think it was a Frank, Wa Frank Walker show um, at the Grand in Boston. Mm -hmm. And Loud Luxury had played the night before. And long story short, um, Loud Luxury ended up coming back to Tufts to play like an after party thing um, with some bunch of college kids and I you know did the I opened for them so that was super fun and like it was cool opening and this was you know right uh and the I think right before the pandemic hit really like in oh, wow. early 2020 so, oh, so this was like they you know they were huge oh yeah and things were going it was, it was awesome yeah, there's this. I can't remember the song now off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to check. Uh, think of which one it is. But there's this, a lot of luxury song that I used to listen to all the freaking time. Bo um, body, maybe that was the, that was it. That yeah, was the that's exactly one. the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this yeah, is like right after Body was popping off, and it, you know, so it was it was a pretty cool time. And like Tufts is not a big party school. It's not like a, you know, it's not like clouded like Harvard is or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. but somehow we got them to come back to Tufts and do the thing. So like it was like the talk of the campus for a little bit and people are interesting stories that like i basically like told people are like loud luxury's coming and no one believed me and like half people who i invited basically like went to bed and and didn't come and like wow. then it was pretty funny yeah they missed out then <laughs> they, they, they missed it out it was awesome that's awesome i used to, i used to actually so my, my producer uh for this podcast and myself we actually used to live right around the corner from tufts like uh, a couple years oh, back awesome. yeah so familiar with the area and, and things that i used to yeah, live medford's awesome I, I really enjoyed living there but um cool so and then for you in terms of like 
producing actual music and making songs. So like, when did sort of that like click for you at that, at that time? That's a good question. So like growing up, I took piano lessons. I think my parents signed me up. Um, and I really didn't like it just cause I, I didn't like playing the songs that they had me play. Like yeah. I had no interest in them really. And you know, I went to like a rock band camp, I think at some point in like fourth or fifth grade. And I actually liked that. But I always like was super into sports, so I never really mm-hmm. like pursued music in any way. Um, but I kept playing the piano. Like at my, we had one in our house, uh, upright, and I just like really liked learning songs that I I liked. So like whether it was a lot of, like rap or like How to Save a Life was one of the first songs I remember yeah. teaching myself. Um, I always liked playing, and I liked like improvising on top of that, and and not just follow. And that's another thing about lessons is that. It's like follow the notes that on the sheet music, like that's what you're here to do, you know, not write your own thing. And I liked like adding my own things to it. It was fun. Um, so that was this like the real, you know, low level start. But then senior year of college, I got really into Kygo. Um, I was never a big EDM person kind of before that. I, I liked it, but I was never like super into it. Right. And I thought just like I was playing his songs on the piano I was learning them and I was like damn like I want to actually learn how to make the actual songs not just like the piano version of it so I started googling and then like I just kind of fell in love with it after like a day or two trying to figure out like what the hell is going on like I realized how much there is to know in like the production space and how like complex and cool and like creative it can be um so I dove in and haven't looked back Sweet, and I heard that you had, you had dropped a song on a couple songs on SoundCloud, and you had some friends that were kind of trying to push you to, to, to yeah, actually totally. push it a little bit further. I think so. The first song that I ever made and put on SoundCloud was a remix of Justin Bieber's "Sorry." That's right. And yep. this this was 2016. The song was popping off. Um, I think like the first like I had loved the Kygo IC Fire remix and like. This is when it's also SoundCloud was at its peak and like remixes were, were crazy. Um, so that's, you know, what I wanted to do. And first of all, it's absolutely garbage. I listened back probably like a year or two ago and I could not believe <laughs> that I thought it was good enough to put out. But also like it got hit with a copyright strike from Universal oh, Music yeah. Group like That'll do within it. like an hour. And it, I had spot, I spent like months like learning how to produce and like make this song that I thought was so sick and like showed it to like, all these people and then they're just gone um but you know it didn't deter me at all i guess i had like kind of the the ball had already started rolling by that point where yeah. it was like i just want to keep doing this um yeah and yeah you're yeah, doing oh, go maybe ahead. i can send you that or something but it, it is god awful <laughs> well i mean hey dude like there's i mean our first podcast episode was not good either so like it just it, you just you, you get better and you just you, you keep start at it somewhere totally absolutely everybody starts somewhere right i mean I've, I've even like, you know, there's, I mean, how many book authors, like I teach English just for, uh, for context and like how many book authors were told, like were rejected from their query letters and things like that yeah. about trying to get their books published or I even know Jay-Z didn't even get his first deal until he was 29. Like, I mean, it's just, it's everybody starts somewhere, of course. Right. Russ, Russ apparently had dropped like uh, almost a thousand songs yeah, on SoundCloud. Yeah. He was dropping a song a day before one went viral. Like it's just, it's, it's hard, man, especially nowadays in such like the oversaturation. I, I wasn't as 
oversaturated maybe a few years ago as it is today. But the ironic part is like your songs are doing great now, which is awesome. And the quality is fantastic. So I link a bunch of these in the description, guys. And we're going to talk about a few of them now. But before we get to some of the songs, I'm curious like to hear your thoughts on your genre because um i know you you sort of sound like from from what i'm gathering that like it's not something that you're really worried about or thinking about but like when i'm hearing your songs just as somebody as a music an analyst or critique or critic whatever you want to call it um you know i i'm hearing a lot of different i, I obviously you're an electronic edm art uh producer and artist but there's a lot of different elements to your songs i feel like i'm hearing a lot of pop i'm hearing a lot of soul even like a little bit of country and melodic hip-hop in some of your tracks so is there something like to that effect of like when you get in the room with somebody and create it it's just an organic thing are you are you constantly thinking about genre or is it just again like an, an, an organic thing yeah um What's pretty interesting is that like all the vocalists I've worked with so far are in completely different genres. Or mm. two of them in this are in like pop, but um, the others are like in you know rap and like ballad. I don't even know what to call it. Like you know, uh, a contemporary pop maybe or contemporary. Louis, Louis, yeah, Louis Capaldi type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ballad music. Yeah. Um, I. I've always had a hard time with genre, even, like, I remember when I was young, like, trying to find music that I liked. I couldn't find a genre that I liked, and, like, it's always, and I, it, like, everyone says, like, genre is stupid, blah, 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 um, and, like, we love, I feel like, just, like as humans to compartmentalize mm. things, because it's, like, easier for us to understand. Um, and I really don't sit down with any sort of genre in mind, generally. I kind of sit... Maybe I do, but it's, like, more, like, subconscious. Like, I'm, like, it's more of just kind of, like, a feel or a vibe or, like, instrumentation-wise. Um, but it's, you know, genres have blended so much in the last, like, five, ten years. That oh, it's, yeah. You know, there's, it's really, especially, like, in the pop space. Like, everything that's pop now is, like, pop this. Like, pop, you know, pop country, pop punk, mm-hmm. pop, like, hip-hop, mm-hmm. um, dance pop, etc. Um... So I, and I love to just use sounds and things from songs that I like. And I think it all does stem back to pop music. I think there is like some sort of, I kind of feel like any good song can be a pop song, right? Like mm. in any genre and you see it now with like anything from Latin to like trap to EDM to Olivia Rodrigo, whatever you would call her genre. Right. Like all these different kind of genres hit the top, top pop charts, right? So yeah. um, I've always said like, I like things that, or that's good music and that sound cool and that's what i always stick to and i hope to continue to do that yeah i mean i think you're doing it for sure and it's it, you make an interesting point i mean there's especially like a lot of genres are there's a lot of cross blending and genre and genre bending and all that like whatever you want to call that i mean even in hip-hop i mean how many different sub-genres are there of hip-hop i mean you have like the experimental industrial like uh you know um, like a Denzel Curry or like, for example, I mean, I'm just looking at my wall here, but then you, you know, you got more of like the, uh, like sort of contemporary hip hop with like someone like J Cole and Outkast was a little more jazz inspired. So like this, you know, it is so much, so many big crit, a little more country esque. So there's so many like different types of categories, but yeah, man, you've, you've worked with some, uh, pretty heavy hitters and some awesome artists. I mean, you just recently dropped a single, uh, called golden with Cole Redding that I'm loving. I know a lot of people uh, in our, our camp are enjoying it too. You've had some other songs you've dropped with, uh, guys like Vincent Lima and Sam Vesso and King soul. So, I mean, I guess we can start with golden, but 
you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, you know, a lot of your collaborations you've had, like what you've learned from, you know, your time working with some of these guys and, uh, and yeah, it's just the experiences, any sort of memorable moments you've had. Totally. So Golden, um, I actually made the beat for that a year ago, um, in May, I think during the pandemic, I was still in college as a senior, or I guess I had just graduated, but I was still living at college. Um, I had this studio in my frat house that I'm very proud of, um, and I was just working, I wanted, I've always kind of wanted to keep pushing the boundary with adding live guitar, electric guitar in my music. Um, I just love the instrument. I think it can elicit so many different moods and yeah. it's used like, I think a lot of music now is like the, the mood is actually based on the instrumentation that reminds you of other songs and genres of the past, you know, like. When you start hearing a distorted electric guitar of that sounds like Jimi Hendrix or sounds like Red Hot Chili Peppers, like it elicits a certain mood just the instrument itself. So I was wanting to wanting to do like a pop punk nineties two thousands type um, beat like the Lost Kings I think are like an electronic um, duo who do that kind of stuff and I was listening to a lot of them at the time. Um, so I just put down the like the guitar, just like one note muted, um, like a four, four note loop basically. Um, I put down that beat with like, I think the drums honestly changed, but uh, with some drums, and that sat on my computer until the fall of this year, um, where I met Cole in LA, and we uh, actually started working on a different song that. Maybe we'll finish and put out, but we did. We've done like three now. Golden was the second of three, and I just you know was going through and playing him instrumentals that I'd done, and he really liked this one. And he just started, like, he just started riffing, and he just starts you know, like he hears the instrumental and then immediately comes out with the melody like right away and just starts going if he likes it. So that's what he did, and then he does this thing where he's like, okay, I like it, and he like goes and puts his AirPods in and goes. Like, he went downstairs and just started, like, writing, you know? And I was just, like, kind of sitting there working on the beat. Um, probably just sitting there, too. And then he comes back up and, like, got this thing, and he starts singing melodies and maybe some lyrics, and I'm saying, I like this, let's go with that. And um, it was just super organic. He's an amazing writer and singer and recording artist, so it honestly came together really fast. And then we recorded it, like, two days later, did the whole thing in a few hours. Um... And then it kind of sat for a while because I, I was working on some other music at the time. I was trying to finish stuff up um, and, you know, I was doing all sorts of stuff. And then I came back to it like probably February or March and I took a little while to, the drop, the original drop um, that we did like in the demo or I probably did like a year ago in the demo was like totally different. It was pretty crappy. Um, I generally don't like to come up with drops until the song is done really like ly lyrically and emotionally just because it i don't generally like like a, a drop to drive the song i think the the lyrics and the song should drive the song and the drop should go along with that so i just like did a whole new drop and that's the one that's there now I like I like that end part what you just said too because I feel like that that's why electronic and EDM maybe sometimes gets I don't wouldn't say a bad rep but like there's that sense where it's like oh it's all about the drop or whatever you know what I mean so I'm glad you're sort of thinking it like um, like the other parts of the song influence how that drop is going to sound I love that that's awesome that's like a, almost a back backwards by design but it's cool 
Yeah, I'm definitely like a music and song person first. Like I learned music and electronic music by playing the songs on the piano. Mm -hmm. So it's like to me, if you can't strip down the song, any song that I've done to a piano with like chords and melody and, and like top line, then like I, I probably wouldn't have made it. You know, it's just right. that's like kind of the music that I grew up teaching myself and how music works. I didn't do any music theory until like way after I had started making music. Okay. So, um, that was like my, like how I understand music at the core is like a song rather than kind of a, a beat, um, I guess, and a drop or whatever. Well, that's how it should be, I think, you know, and I think if you're thinking in that, that way, I think it'll have a little bit more, not even longevity or I think it has more versatility, right? Because I think oftentimes people think about you know, electronic EDM music is just club music. But like, I think your songs could be played in a number of different, you know, facets. They could be played at a party or a club for sure. But I think you could play them on a nice summer day driving down the street, like you know, or at the beach. Like there's a ton of whatever it is, right? I think there's a lot of um, more versatility that way. So I, I love that. Um, I'm a huge fan of Golden. I really enjoy it. Uh, my Thank personal, you. my personal favorite, um, I would say, because it's a little more in my wheelhouse, I love waiting on you. I love what you did with that track, and I love King Soul's additions on the vocals. I thought he was vocally just so again. I hate to use the word versatile again, but so versatile on that song vocally. So yeah. uh, he's he's fantastic. I'd love to talk about yeah. So Ben, aka King Soul, is um, my friend from college. We actually were in a songwriting class my junior year, and we were both like. We're the only two kids in the class who like made music and put it out, you know? A lot okay. of everyone else was kind of either more music, music student or like someone who was just kind of taking elective to get art credit. Um, we're like the two in the class that were putting out music. And he actually like had put out a song with a million plays on Spotify as like an eighth grader or something. Um, oh, shit. And we also were both computer science majors. And so like we had just a lot in common. Um, and we didn't. We were always like, oh, let's let's actually make something. Like we did a little bit, of like a little project for class, but it wasn't serious. Like, and then senior year, um, he just came in to the studio I had set up, um, and I think originally we were honestly just looking to do. I don't think we had any sort of like plan for it. It was just like let's get together and do something. And I think I started playing him rap beats because like I make them for fun sometimes. Okay. Um, and he like started. He's like, all right, I like these. Like, I'll try to write something for this. And then I played him the Waiting on You beat. Um, at the time, it was just that guitar. Dun -dun 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 -dun. And that was, like, the first guitar I had recorded myself that I actually liked that sounded good. It, recording is, like, an art of itself, and it, it takes some time to learn how to do it well. Um, figuring out acoustics and, like, mic position, all that stuff. Definitely. And that also... I had, had sat on my computer for probably like nine months before he even heard it or anyone really heard it. And he just started kind of uh, like humming the chorus, I think. That's, and we just went from there. And he was like, yo, like I'll, I'll write to this. And I was like, sick, like I, that's awesome. And I, honestly, I wasn't sure because he was like a rapper at the time and still is, but like I hadn't really ever heard him sing. So I was like, like this is a song I imagine like kind of like, in, like a, like a female singer I didn't say this because I was like you know I wasn't gonna yuck his yums but I imagine like a female singer with like a really high voice doing that like you know like Clarity by Zed Fox like EDM like thing and I was like alright go for it and then he probably sent me a demo 
lyric, like, or he just sang it in the studio, and I was like, shit, this is really good. Like, I really like this a lot. Um, and so he records all the time because he's making his rap music, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'll just record, like, just send me the instrumental and I'll record it. And then he sent the vocals back, and they were, they were really good, too, like, the official studio recording, and I was like, this is awesome. And I think... I don't remember exactly now. It was a little while ago. I think we went back and did that rap verse that comes in at the end. And we were right. like, um, it's just kind of like natural for him. And like, I thought it'd be cool if we did a rap verse on it. And that's how it came together. Yeah, it was really great, man. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because like, and one, one thing I really enjoy about artists like yourself is you, when I, when I get into some, you know, producers and something like that, I tend to get into some other artists that I wouldn't normally, right? Cause you work with so many different people yeah. and so many different types of artists. So it's like, like I didn't know a lot of these artists. Like I had heard Cole Redding's name. I couldn't pin, pin, pinpoint like an exact song of his, but you know, again, like you put me on to him for sure. I, I'm definitely now a fan of his and certainly King Soul for sure. Um, and then you have a couple of tracks too with Vincent Lima, who is another name that I is familiar to me, but I, I don't know very well. And you had you had a re, the Escape remix, right? That, that went that did do great numbers. And then the other one would be um, was it Rain in the City? Did I get that correct? Rain inside the city. Rain yeah, inside the city. Which yeah. is a more recent one. Um, so Vince, like work with him. Yeah, let's talk about Vince. Um, so I guess the one thing I want to backtrack and talk about is that like getting vocalists as not like a aspiring especially dance producer is like the hardest part of the whole thing it's harder than learning how to make music in my opinion um especially when you're not in like a music like if you're not in la honestly for dance music or maybe nashville or new york but really like not being in la um and being young and not have it's so hard to find vocalists um so like i'm so lucky that ben kind of ben and i linked up and he's able to has an amazing singing voice too, even though, like, you know, he was mostly rapping. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so Vince uh, reached out to me and was like, do you want, I don't remember when, but he was like, do you want to remix a song or something, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, definitely. And then he, like, didn't really, like, send me anything, didn't follow up to send me anything. And then, um, so this was the summer 2019 when I was actually in L.A. working in an internship at the place where I have my 9 to 5 now. And he was like, here, like, here's the stems, like, you make a remix, and, uh, I was, remember, like, I had just moved to LA for the summer, bought, like, the, these small KRK Rocket 5 monitors, set them up in, like, a, I was living in USC student dorm, set them up, and I just started going, um, and, like, there's this little, like, like, kind of background piano riff, um, uh, or, it might be a synth, too, I don't even remember, but, uh, I just came, like, right away, and I, and, like, I just, I heard the piano because he sent me the real piano. And I had never worked with a real recorded piano before. I was always using, like, you know, fake in the computer ones. And I was like, this is sick. Yeah. And I just, I made that first demo of, like, probably, like, 90% of it um, right there. And then and I then I started working on a different song for a while. And I wasn't working on that remix. And then this mix engineer, actually, named Miles Walker, put out a contest and he was like, and I can get to him and his background. He was like, I'll do a free mix for an independent artist, like, submit your song. And I was like, shit, all right, I'm going to finish this. And I just kind of, like, grinded over the next few days, finished that, the remix. Um, I always, like, bounce everything back and forth with Nate when I'm, when I'm working. Like, it's hard mm-hmm. to stay in your own head the whole time. Oh, yeah. Um, it's good to, good to get, like, feedback. So thousand percent. I was like, 
And the drops are probably always the hardest part for me just because I, I, I try to keep it part of the song, as we kind of talked about. I don't want it to be like this drop thing. Like, I really want it to be natural and part of the song and, like, not feel like a drop, almost, or, like, not feel like a change in any way. Just, like, it's still the song. Um, so I went back and forth with Nate a bunch, and then I was like, I just finished it, and I submitted the remix in this contest, and we won. Um, oh, shit. I remember I was on a plane with my mom somewhere and I got an email saying or like it was just an Instagram post he was like congrats to Zevi and Vince and Lima for winning the independent artist thing and we won this free mix from this like Grammy winning mix engineer um and at the time I was not like as good at mixing and mastering and all that stuff like that was and I'm you know I'm a real perfectionist and pay attention to details I really wanted someone who like worked with the best to work on and this I had never put anything out on Spotify yet um to work with like the first song that I put up and we won he mixed it it sounded amazing and you know went up and it, it's done great people have really um really liked it and I did not think it you know it was gonna do as well as it did I mean I thought it was awesome but like you know it was the first song I ever put out so. right right for your first song it's one of those things you're not sure like what you, and yeah. if you don't have an established like a super established fan base of course had putting out your first song how would you and it's like or you, you probably had some people through your DJing and like other songs yeah. you'd put out in SoundCloud but like you know how really is that gonna manifest itself on something like Spotify right it's a whole different yeah market. totally it's really cool totally. Man. And, I love that uh, story yeah the feed I mean that song still like people are discovering it now and really liking it so yeah. that's awesome yeah, it's, it's awesome. Really yeah, yeah. It seems like it had gotten a little bit of a resurgence, like uh, somewhat recently. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, like the Discover Weekly algorithm, like has been pumping it a lot lately. Um, and then, so after that, Vince was like, "Oh shit!" Like that was dope. Like I honestly, like, he also like didn't even expect like me to even like finish the song. Like, he just kind of sent it for fun, and he's like really, really like close to his art. Like he doesn't like. And I've opened him up a little bit, but, like, before I made that remix, like, no one, he had never done anything besides go to the studio, record piano and vocal, and then put it on Spotify, like, nothing else. Um, never had a producer, and never, never, like, I don't even know, like, you know, and his art's really important to him, and I respect that, and I love oh, that yeah. about him. So, and he was like, wow, like, and he, like, really also did not want to be, like, in a pop or, like, like a dance music person at all, not what he wanted um but then it did so well and he was like damn like this is pretty dope so we started uh working together basically and like slowly in a bunch of ways and then we kind of be through that song we became closer and closer as friends and like as collaborators and then it got to the point where like, i started basically producing all of his original music um okay so he's come out. He's came out with an EP actually uh, last Friday. Oh, so wow. everyone go check that out. Uh, Vincent Lima's new EP, and I produced I think either five out of six of the songs or all but one of the songs on there. Um, I produced. We actually recorded two of them completely in my uh, house in LA um, in I want to say February. And uh, yeah, so now like I pretty much work with him on every song that he does at. Also, some amount, sometimes not a lot. Sometimes I, you know, make a ton of, put drums in, like do a ton of production. He likes to have a lot of it sparse. And, uh, you know, Rain inside, and he um, just sends me stuff all the time and is like, you know, could you do this? Or do you want to make this one of your own tracks? Or blah, blah, blah. And, 
now we, you know, we're working together all the time. That's so that's so great. And then like it's, it's a whim like that, right? You develop such a great relationship with somebody yeah, and yeah. somebody that's, that's awesome. yeah of, of his caliber. Like that's that's really amazing. Um, love that, dude. Awesome, good shit. And so and then the final track that you had on uh, that's out as well is you um, with Sam Vesso. Which is called? Oh my God! Why am I forgetting the name now? What's what's the Sam Vessel one called back, again? Back when this started. Back when this started, exactly. So, uh, how was it like working with him? It was awesome. So that was all remotely done. Oh wow! Um, how it worked is Nate actually uh, was hitting a bunch of different singers this summer and being like, you know, like this is some of his music. Here's some instrumentals he has. Would you like to hop on it? And uh, we had sent a bunch to Sam's manager. And then he was, I think he was like, you know, Sam likes this one called Banana Pancakes. Um, and I got this, uh, what, Take a Day Trip, who they're like hip-hop producers. They've okay. done like Mo Bamba and Panini. They're, they're sick. They name all their beats after food. And I was like, <laughs> well, I love food, so I'm going to start doing that too. Um, so he was like, yeah, he really likes Banana Pancakes. He uh, wrote something to it and then we kind of just went back and forth over honestly like before we talked even on zoom we had like done a lot of the song he like you know he recorded it sent an email sent it to me sent the vocals i worked on some stuff sent him some ideas sent him an email we went back for an email for a while and like got a lot of the song done um and then we hopped on a video call and kind of just were like all right let's iron out like the rest of this um we kind of like changed the arrangement a little bit. We added a bridge that's in there now. Um, and kind of the core part of the song was there, like from a like chord and lyric perspective. And the drop, that was the, one of the few songs where like the drop was done before anything. He really liked the drop in that song and he kind of like wrote to it. Um, so I guess it worked out like that way. Um, Definitely. And I changed actually the verses completely. Like all the instrumentation from the verses was different originally. It was like some weird sounds. It's actually I accidentally had this like really weird steel drum sound in the original beat that I sent. I like steel drums. And it was like so bad. Like I don't even know how it was like an accidental like accidental thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I just remember that. And uh, yeah, so we went back and forth on email, and then Sam's like an amazing vocalist and like. He's very professional, and he's worked with some some big artists in dance, and like he knows how to like he records all his own vocals and does the prop most of the processing on them and like all that stuff. And so he's like, you know, just sending me like fire vocals, um, vocal stems, and I can just kind of do my thing with them. So that was that was really easy to work with. Sweet man. And so not only like working with a bunch of different types of artists and different different people, but it seems like you worked with them in different ways, like different facets of like, time, collaborations. So that's that's really cool. I, I love that. Um, so my question yeah. to you is like, yeah. you know, after working with all of these all these artists, like what? Um, my last question on this topic is like, what 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 have you learned like overall? Like, how has it really helped your growth as a producer and as an artist yourself? Totally, I think you kind of just said it almost and that like everyone's so different with their process mm-hmm. um and every situation is so different and every song is so different and i hear that a lot um people you know i was like every song is so different i'm like then how come all your songs sound the same but uh no it's it re- even like making us two similar songs with different vocalists or even two similar songs with the same vocalist it's right. everything is there's so many variables to music and that's why you know it's still you know, you have hundreds of years of music and there's still crazy new things coming all the time. Is There's just so many possibilities that 
every experience is different and you can there's like you at least for me like I feel like I am never close to like done learning as a producer like I feel like I've come such a far way um as a producer in like all areas whether it's just like doing vocal production or adding drums to one of Vince's ballads or like even though like I've learned so many things like you will never be close to done learning about making music it's just so uh like variable and i think the only one of those songs where like, i feel like we did most of it in a session was with cole everyone else like we did a good amount and then like they would go off and write a lot and then they would be like send it back and i'd be like all right change this and then, like they'd go off and write a lot cole i feel like we did a lot just like in that one session um which is pretty cool like i really like songwriting and i think I'm I'm pretty I'm confident in my like songwriting choices and lyrical choices. It's like I kind of like I'm I've been kind of writing songs since I was really little. I'm just a terrible singer, so I can't express that. But when I'm working with people, I can I can do it through them. Mm-hmm. For sure, man, love it. So uh, guys, listen, and this is some great stuff here. I, I like all this music too, and like again, I do enjoy electronic and EDM music from time to time. It's not like one of my you know, top genres I gravitate towards. Like I've definitely, I mean, I've seen like Lewis the Child in in in, uh, in concert and like I enjoy them. And obviously you had mentioned Kygo. I'm a big fan of Kygo. He actually, Kygo has this, uh, I've had, maybe said this before on the podcast, maybe once, but a couple way episodes ago, but there's this app called Calm that I use all the time. I'm not sure if you're familiar. And I, yeah. uh, he, a lot of bunch of different artists have like albums that are strictly on Calm. And it's it's more of like a, a meditative um, like uh, uh, app where, where it's like it's more meditative Mind music. And, app. Yeah, I know yeah, you sure. got it exactly. And Kygo has an album on there, and it is absolutely brilliant. It's like is it all listen, piano music? Yeah, I listen to it all the time, yeah, dude. It's great. so amazing. Like especially if I'm just like in a work zone or something like that, and I just need like some instrumental music, or if I'm trying to actually meditate, or totally, even yeah. I'm hiking, like whatever it is, like it's it's really great. So, um, you know, I think that. You know, like I mentioned before, I said this a little earlier, where I think there's a there's a certain st- and there's a lot of things that happen this way, of course, but there's a certain stereotype or stigma I think that is a little unfair to electronic and EDM artists. Actually, you're probably one of the first EDM electronic artists I've had on the podcast, and that's another great thing with that about awesome. about yeah, just just again to to show that versatility and and that there's uh, there's artists out here doing more than just what you think that you like would go and listen to at a club, you know what I mean, or or, or a party, so. Um, you know, I'm a fan. That that golden track's awesome. It's uh, it should definitely make your summer playlist for sure. You won't you won't be sorry. Thank you. Add that to the play. Add that to your summer playlist. I will link all those songs in the description so that way you can go check them out for yourself. And yeah, so like, what's uh, what's been one of your favorite uh, songs here? Do you, I, I think you you said you mentioned to me earlier you like Golden? That's that's the, that's the one you're yeah. really proud of. My I think my the song I'm most proud of is definitely Golden, just um, because of how much. I was involved in the track from start to finish. Yeah. Um, and I started mixing and mastering my own tracks with uh, back when this started. So the past two, I've kind of done everything. And um, I just like, you know, like, uh, playing from like just doing a simple guitar uh, loop in my in my dorm room or whatever mm. till like coming to L.A., recording the vocals, um, you know, tracking on the vocals orchestrating kind of like with Cole like let's get these harms and let's do these doubles and like vocal producing the whole thing and just doing everything from start to finish um so I really like it and I, and I think the just the 
kind of vibe of the song is where I kind of want to go with my music going forward. Um, I like, I've always liked, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like happy-ish songs. It just, I know it when I hear it, it's like a a certain vibe. And I like making Mm -hmm. kind of more serious, intense stuff too, like some of the songs I've done with Vince, but um, stuff that gets you, I guess songs that make you excited is the easiest way to say it. Yeah, like more of a colorful and like bright, there's like a brightness to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so that's That's definitely my, my favorite. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned too, I, 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 uh, I love that you were talking about like growth, right? And it's interesting because Golden's your most recent song and it feels like you had a, your most hand in this particular song. So like that just shows your growth from, you know, where you started to where you are now. And there's, and I love what you said too about, and that's why I like, you know, why our platform, I think it, like we're all about education and learning and things like that, but especially like, and I, and I've realized this too, where it's like this industry there's so much to learn. You can't possibly learn at all. Like there's, there's, there's not, there's always something new that you can kind of grasp onto, whether it's, you know, in any creative space, right. Whether you're making film or some music or podcasts, whatever it is, like in the creative space, there's always so much to learn. And there's so many like, you know, new ways of doing things and technology and et cetera, et cetera. I don't have to tell you that, you know, but uh, you know, our listeners, I'm sure that, you know, that's that it, it, it's good to dive into that and realize like, you know, you're never quite, where you want to be and that's good it's that that, that fire under you is is important to have you know totally and i think that's like a twofold thing it's like you're never quite where you want to be in terms of like industry success even like Mm -hmm. you know drake is still like fighting for number one spots even though happens most of the songs he puts out but also (laughs) from an artistic standpoint um like my one of my roommates actually i'm lucky enough to live with another producer by the name of he goes Gazzo, his name is Mike Gazzo, is like okay. one of the best musicians and producers like I've ever been around, actually the best, and he like knows everything, and it's unbelievable, but, he, but like I'm sure he's still, and he says like he's still like learning and experimenting, with, and he's, you know, been at it for a long time and had many huge, huge songs, um, mm-hmm. but you know, he's always learning more, there's always more to learn. There's always so, more to learn, exactly. And that's the drive. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the drive that makes you actually want to continue doing this, right? It's 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 kind of like I said, it's the light that's lit under. You mentioned it a couple of times, and it's it's on my list of things to ask you. So I definitely want to dive into this. So you're from Boston originally, well, Newton, of course, but Boston area, yeah. and uh, you relocated to LA. So what's that transition been like for you, and what kind of opportunities has it kind of presented for you? I mean, so it's definitely been a hard transition. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Newton. I went to school at Tufts. So I was in Boston. I had my family and friends around me like my whole life. Um, and I moved away from pretty much all of them. So that was obviously, and that was tough. It's been a tough transition. Um, but, you know, it's something I've wanted to do for a while. And the, you know, the benefits of being in L.A. as a musician and producer are, you know, insane. Like you, yeah. whether it's, I mean, besides just like kind of the networking and being around people who are really successful in, in that space, is also just finding other artists to collaborate and or just like talk to about being an artist um even if you're never gonna make something with them like you have a lot of shared experience just being an artist and trying to make it in music and you know working really hard and also just being super passionate about music everyone who moves to LA for music has got to be pretty passionate so oh yeah um I've met a ton of of artists already and I'm sure that's only gonna continue to happen and grow definitely definitely 
What do you uh, What do you miss most about about the Boston area? I might say dunks, like having a Dunkin', no matter where you are. There's definitely some in LA, but like they're they're hard to find. Too many Starbucks. Um, yeah, too many Starbucks. I don't actually drink <laughs> coffee. I just love no, Dunkin'. Oh, gotcha. I can get the egg and cheese. I in college there was one like on the bottom of my like I live on a hill and right on Boston Ave. I don't know if you know that Dunkin' Donuts, but um, I used to go like four times a week and get an egg and cheese <laughs> or something. I just or a muffin. Yeah, um yeah. I miss Dunks. Definitely like the Boston culture and Boston sports culture. Um mm-hmm. I rep really hard in LA, so I, I do what I can. Good, good. Wear, wear those um, wear those Celtics colors well out there, with, amongst all the seas of purple and gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I, I you know I, I rep hard out here, right awesome. out there. I'm in Austin, Texas, right now. But right, I'm trying to think. In just the like, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain Boston culture, and I'm sure like every city says we have this, but I I think it's special. So. Um, yeah, Boston is. Yeah, it's got us. I think it's a pretty special place. So it'll always, it'll always be home. Um, but being in LA is super sick too. So yeah, I, I missed mean, the honestly. I miss I miss the the rain a little bit too. It never rains, and so like hmm. when it does rain, it feels like home and it feels good. So interesting. You know, <laughs> there is something about a rainy day every once in a while that's not bad. You know what I mean? Right. Like I yeah, you know, yeah exactly. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be in Seattle where it rains like almost every day but like yeah you want at least at least new england that's a lot of people that have come on this podcast that are from the massachusetts area or new england area but then have like relocated uh they say a lot they say that a lot they miss like the seasons and stuff like that you know so yeah, it, i shouldn't say the season more than the rain it rains whatever yeah I get um, you. I, like it was like sunny for like from when i moved in august to like november there was zero centimeters of official rain or something wild or, like there's just no rain so when it finally happened, I was I was pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Boston's culture is its own thing. Like, I know people, yeah, I do rep that about their their cities. But like, yeah, Boston, Boston's very unique. We're very prideful, very for sure, right? Yeah. We obviously got the Boston, you know, the Boston accent and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, just there's, there is that culture to it. Like, when you watch a movie set in Boston, right, whether it's like the town, right, or the departed or whatever, like it has a certain tone. It has a certain energy yeah, to no, it, right? Totally, yeah, totally. So, uh, it, so, I mean, for people that aren't like super aware, that aren't, that aren't from Massachusetts or Boston listening to this right now. But um, so I have a couple questions for you, and I think you're going to enjoy these. And I'm going to give you like two of them a little rapid fire. And take, take a little time if Love you need it. them. Um, so you're a big sports guy, as you mentioned. I'm a huge sports huge. guy. We played the same sports growing up. You played soccer and you played basketball. So out of the two, which did you like better, soccer or basketball? It changed a lot as I grew. I I liked playing soccer more because I was better, and I liked basketball more to watch, I guess I could say. See, I'm, opposite. I'm a better basketball player than I was a soccer player, but I loved soccer. So that's that's I'm, I'm with you on that. So briefly, you were uh, – oh, sorry, I, sh- I should backtrack uh, – as a kid, you played for FC Boston Bolts. Is that correct? I did. And then you had a brief stint at Wesleyan. Is that is that also true? Yes, and that's where I actually met Vincent Lima. No shit, really. Yes. Was he? Did he go to Wesleyan? Yeah, he played hockey there. No way! I didn't know that. That's how we met. So cool. Uh, and then you know, I'm saying like, I I played soccer there briefly, and then I 
came to Tufts and we kind of like stayed in, like we both, she didn't even actually do music much then, but like it's a small school and we right. were in a, somewhat like a music type class together. So we like knew each other, but didn't, neither of us had like started really putting music out yet. But okay. yeah. So you were a defenseman. Is that, also, is that also correct? Defenseman. So Yeah, was mostly. Mostly? Cool. Interesting. I, I was a defenseman as well. So that was my... I had, I had one game... No, sorry. I had one season as a soccer player where I scored... I was in... I want to say it was seventh grade. And I scored like 12 goals in the season. Like I went insane. And then I never... Oh, yeah. And I never scored really a scored a goal up until that season. And I never scored a goal after that. It's the craziest That's shit. Fine. So it doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Nobody probably cares. But either way... My question to you: What's the craziest soccer game you've ever been a part of? Like craziest moment you've had as as, as like a soccer player? That's a good question. Craziest? Like, was there like a wild game you were a part of? Like I'm to huge think. comeback? I'm de- I mean, or... definitely growing up, I was part of some wild games. Like my Newton like area travel team was like one of the best teams like in the city's history we had like 40 games undefeated oh shit um like one of those games like winning the the league or whatever and like a 6-4 overtime game um the boss is like playing i never really got to play high school soccer because i played for the bolts which are an academy team um and like no one like like people don't come to those games tons of college coaches do because it's like right. where the best players are but it's not like crazy atmosphere type thing um so I, I guess that that one when I was a probably like a fourth or fifth grader was yeah. was the craziest. I love that. That's awesome. And then you played briefly. You said you played briefly for uh, basketball at Newton North. And uh, yep. so what? So out of and for people that don't have context, um, there are two leagues in Massachusetts. Really, there's probably three. You could probably put, actually not definitely. You could probably put the Hockamock in this. But from what I've seen, I think the Bay State Conference is maybe one of the toughest conferences. It's Definitely for basketball. I'm not sure about soccer. I don't really know too much about soccer, but I know for it's sure good. For it's good. Yeah. Too, yeah. Well, it's all Division One teams mostly, right? There's a couple of Division Twos, yeah. and but yeah. it's it's a tough conference. It's just I think all right. Put it this way, just athletics in general. Like I was really more witness of the basketball. But so my question to you is, what was the toughest team you faced in the Bay State Conference, and your least favorite team to play in the Bay State Conference? All right. So the best. I mean, playing freshman in JV basketball, the way like. The toughest doesn't necessarily equate to, like, the best varsity programs. Because, right. like, right. some teams put juniors on JV, and then they're, like, really mm-hmm. good. You know, it just depends. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Braintree being the toughest game, um, just in terms of, like, a physical standpoint and competitiveness. They were, they were they played us real tough at the freshman level. Um, and my least favorite to play... Had to be Needham. We we hated Needham. They were a big rival. So was Brookline, but uh, we really didn't like Needham. There there was there was you know there was that a lot gym, of beef there. Tough gym to play in too, because it's so compact yeah, and small. So yeah, compact. I think there was like I think my freshman year there was like a ton of like Facebook like chatter going on about the freshman game. Like they used to have a freshman fan section. Like oh, a bunch shit. of the freshmen, it was pretty. Yeah, I know it's pretty ridiculous. But like, they used to have like this like freshman fan section that would come in and like do their thing, and like we were like undefeated and they were undefeated and uh, or something like that. We were we were a really good freshman team, and there was like a lot of Facebook chatter. So that that was probably like the the most hated rivalry cool. game of my my basketball career. Yeah, 
So to answer my own question, you guys were for sure the toughest. That's like out of everybody I scouted uh-huh. and just playing like we were competitive with every team, I think, except you guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, Especially the year I was there. We, we Like I know Framingham, historically basketball, they didn't have a great year. But we I think we went to the tournament for the first time in like the 10 years when I was there. Uh, had very little to do with me, so I'm not that's not that's not a brag. But um, in terms of like the teams, like, I got Braintree definitely, and I'd say Needham too. Those are like, but in terms of, like for us, like Natick was our big rival, so they didn't we hated playing Natick. That was like our least favorite team. Gotcha. But Newton North was tough, man. You guys were a tough team, and playing in your environment too. Like I remember, I just remember, like we were not in that game ever. Like not from the tip yeah. of the of the ball, we were never in that game. Ethan Ethan Wright <laughs> took over, and that was it. He's a great player. <laughs> He's yeah. uh he's doing he's at uh Where, well, yeah he's he's playing Princeton, Division One Princeton yeah 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 Princeton yeah he's, he's he was real, oh it's fantastic and then um yeah there was I mean Needham had good teams back then to players back then yeah, too really like Tom good teams. Tom Tom Shaughnessy I remember him he plays a Division One player for a little while and then Alex something I can't remember his last name either but it's it's funny I guess funny how you look back and think about these things um really cool and then my final question on this little rapid fire here um. Actually, I'll probably have a few more after this for just because for, I, I have a funny feeling which 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 you're gonna choose. But favorite New England slash Boston sports team, it's professional the Celtics, team, undoubtedly. Okay, I'm I love diehard huge Celtics fan. Me too. I love. I'm a huge Pats fan as well. I'm a Same. fair. I'm a definitely a fair weather Bruins fan. Like I'm into them now because Me they're too. actually doing well. Um, Same with the Sox. Like I like you know I'm 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 the classic you know basic white girl summer i love going to to the to fenway once a year right yeah. <laughs> but besides that um but so i'm with you celtics so my big question to you they're struggling as we're recording yeah. this when this comes out they'll probably already be swept if not gentlemen sweep and i will be on record here if i and i know i know you don't like the negativity and if i am wrong i will come back on this show and i will at the very start of the next episode i will admit that i was wrong but the way it's looking, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. No, so if you, I'm not going to deny that. If you were Wick, okay, or you were the owner of the, of the Celtics, okay, what would you do to change this team, to put them in a position back to basically where they were last year? Yeah. So what changes would you make if you were the owner of this team, if any? Maybe you maybe you run it back. I think you're crazy if you're going to yeah. run this team back. But yeah. <laughs> what, it, what would you do to this team for, to make them competitive again? For context, we probably talk about this. In my, I'm in three different Celtics group chats with different groups of fans from different walks of life. But we, we probably awesome. talk about this every day, I would say. I'm, oh, I love it. I'm ready. My, my good – actually, my former freshman assistant basketball coach who's a, who was a teacher at North at the time – yeah, uh, is in the chat, and he called into Felger and Maz the other day to like to give it <laughs> Dude, to give Felger his and Maz love it. So we're we're, it. we're we're legit, uh, you know, yeah. sports fan. Oh yeah, here. but Great, I would. Yeah. So if I'm the owner, I you know I don't think I'm moving on from Danny Ainge in any way, shape, or form. I think he's, okay. I think he's done great. Um, I think. I think Brad does need to be seriously looked at. I think they need to consider moving on from him. Even though I like him a lot, and I have, and we've been to three out of four Eastern Conference Finals, and I think I do think we need to relax a little bit. Um, and like, look, look, the Nets are nasty. We are had the worst, you know, COVID missed days. We've had a ton of injuries, etc. Um, but I don't. But I do think Brad needs to be looked at um, in terms of just how he's been able to maximize the potent or like the ability of a good team. You know, we, we, he's done an unbelievable job with like pretty much like nobody cast away teams. 
Um, and Isaiah Thomas is my favorite player of all time. Oh, he's so good. I mean that. That year was uh, incredible. It was so fun. Like so I, fun I would trade watch. this. I mean, it's kind of it's like careful what you wish for. Right? Like when we, I, I, everyone was saying that, I'm like, oh, we need like actual superstars. This team is never going to win, and they're probably right. But it's like, you know, we brought in actual superstars in the you know 2018 or whatever sophomore or junior year was with the Kyrie year the Kyrie's last year when we were kind of were a disaster similar to this disaster, year disaster yeah um, I guess it was 2019 so it's they've been un, unable to figure it out and like have a team that plays well and be talented you know for probably since Pearson Garnett left right like they've been an overachieving uh you know an overachieving team that's not good enough to win or doesn't have a ton of talent or a talented team that underachieves badly right and I think that's I wouldn't say I would fire Brad, but I would take at least consider it. Um, I think what has to happen, though, mostly, for, and this is a more Danny Ainge thing, it's not an ownership thing, but from a personnel standpoint, we got to bring on some veterans who are just good basketball players. The, these teams that we play against, like it's like Shemi Ojale and Grant Williams. I mean, not now, but it's like our, our bench, and what, you have a Romeo Langford getting the game. He's a good player and young, whatever, um, and – Neesmith, the rookie, who's been great, but like these teams have seven, eight year vets who are just like good NBA players. Like people, like like people like Andre Iguodala, who killed us last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. We we didn't have that, and that's I think needs to be paired with the young guys. Um, yeah, who are talented. But I, at the same time, I'm really not one of those like panic, jump off the ship type of people. You see this happen all the time with. Like if you look at Philly last year, people could have said the same thing about Philly. Like they, yeah, they had injury problems, right? And they got mm-hmm. absolutely demolished by us in the first round. And Embiid looked slow and lazy. Couldn't you know like couldn't guard the pick and roll. All this stuff, right? But like they come back, they get healthy, they bring on a couple. You know, they bring on Seth Curry and they bring on some veteran pieces that are Danny Green. good and good good NBA players. Yeah, exactly, Danny Green and like veteran good NBA players, and they're the number one seed in playing great basketball. So I don't think that. We need to push the panic button. Um, that's my answer. No, I so I love I, I agree with you to a point. I I would absolutely say I think Brad should get one more year. I, I I if 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 this team is back where it is again next year, I say you have to move off of him. But I'm with you. So I've always like I've liked Brad. I think he's done a great job. Um, by no means am I like an anti-Brad guy. Um, I do think he's part of the problem. I think he's a little uninspiring, even though he's a fantastic X's and O's guy. Yeah. Um, I think the this generation of the NBA is a little different than it used to be, unfortunately, as well, for for better or for worse, however you want to look at that. Um, talent across the league, though, you can't argue that. This, like In terms of the talent around the league, there's, I think, more talent now than there ever has been. Um, I, I'm with you. I would per- I actually, what I've been saying... I would like them to model something similar to Philly. So like what they did. Um, I think you can, the only really trade bait you have that you're willing to get rid of would be someone like Marcus Smart in the final year of his contract. I I know he's the heart and soul of the team. My brother's going to kill me if he ever hears I'd, this. I'd ship he's, him out. I'd ship him out. I'd and get it, rid it of him. Comes, it comes I to would. the fact of what the NBA values now, and it, it, right. it's not players like that. And as much as I, I know we all love his hard I love effort, him. I really do. But it, the, the NBA devalues that. They, they call fouls when he plays hard, and like it's. Mm. I, I think it, it also. I would not be afraid to move on from Marcus Smart. I really wouldn't. I think Me it's neither. someone you have to. It, it sucks, and you have to bite the bullet. And no one wants to do it, but. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm for that. And I, you know, I think I will say if you look in hindsight, the Kemba signing was kind of a disaster at this point. Tough, um, I think yeah, he's it's tough to say. He's basically right? cap wise, we're basically locked because of we his can't move forty million a year. And no one's gonna want him. His performance is like you know, we could pick up someone for a million tomorrow and probably would play just as well as he's done. And um, it's been a disappointment, but I we kind of panic signed him after Kyrie left, and yeah. I don't you know. I, I I like the signing at the time. I don't, I don't think it was a bad decision at the time. It's just it, it ended up to really bite us in the ass. Yeah. So. Well, you still had Gordon Hayward at that point, so you still yeah. as well. So you thought like, okay, if Kemba can be your fourth option, then yeah. great. You know what I mean? So like, totally. even even some nights like I, and again like I think Smart gets a bad rep in the sense that like he's a little better offensively than people give him credit for. Like he's streaky, but he's, he's definitely improved his game. He was not what he was when he came in the league where he had like basically no offensive game, no jump shot. He can at least, my problem is his shot selection and like late in games, shooting it too much. My other issue too, is like, you have to think about anybody that's trying to say you move off Brown or Tatum right now is freaking crazy. You don't do that. The only thing I'll say about Tatum is I can't watch him bitch anymore to the refs. It 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 drives me insane. I don't because... like Jason Tatum. He's not a likable player, unfortunately. Like as he's the most like unemotional, like lethargic guy. Um, I like Jalen Brown. I'm not gonna say yeah. I'm not gonna say I don't like him. Like as Southwick and when he scores sixty, I'm going fucking nuts. But right, right, right. Like it's I wish. I, I, I'm so with you that I, the bitching to the refs is, is unbelievable to watch. I wish that he showed emotion. Tatum's a stud as much as, you know, it's it's frustrating when it's not going well. Right. He's a stud, and he's been to two Eastern Conference Finals as a rookie and third-year player. Like, he's – I really – and he wants to win. Everything he says, like, if you ever listen to him interviewed, is absolutely perfect. Like, he's just like, I want to win. I, I – you know, I'm for my team. He says everything's perfect, and then he kind of gets on the floor, and it seems like he doesn't care about that anymore. And I think a lot of that is on Brad. Um, I think that's something that, as a coach, he, he doesn't seem like a player's coach, you know? He seems no. like an X's and O's guy, as you said. Right, so, right. Motivating Tatum, I think, is the number one th- most important thing on our team, and mm-hmm. making him do the right thing. Right, right? Mm-hmm. Like, your stars I, I... control your team. Exactly, exactly. And I don't think you move off Brown or Tatum right now, but maybe in a year, year or two, if, if it's if we're still in the same boat, maybe. I think the supporting, I think this year it was more about the supporting cast than it was either of them. Yeah, and of course, yeah. And of course, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like this year, great, take, you know, take out Tatum's two 50 point games and a 60 point game. I thought Brown was a little more consistent and I thought he made the leap, like especially early in the year, like his mid range game, like what he was doing, like with unbelievable. Yeah. He, he's, he's improved so much and it was crazy. I've, so I've been much. on record. I tweeted this when they drafted him because there were people were getting so much, they were getting so much flack for drafting this guy. Oh, cause he shot 27% right. from three in college and blah, 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 blah. I was like, and I, I was a huge, I'm a huge college basketball guy as well. I was like, mark my words, three to four years down the line, people are going to be loving this guy. And, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that said that, but like, yeah, because people were like, yeah, who, no. who, like, you know, but no one was watching him from out here because he was at, Cal, he was at Cal. He's a freaking intelligent yeah. guy too. He is a smart, yeah. smart, smart no, motherfucker. That dude is doing, gonna do some amazing things once he gets out of basketball. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. He's, if, he's already doing them now, but interesting. Oh, I'm glad, glad to have someone on here I can have some little Celtics talk with. This is always yeah. good, Zevi. Turn this into a Celtics podcast. There's already enough of those, though. There's, there's plenty. Lot. Yeah, there's there's plenty. But you know, may, maybe you and I got something here. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe maybe we jump on again Absolutely. and we do a Celtics. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Why maybe not? Why, why the hell not? Right? Why the hell not? Or Boston sports, whatever the case. But 
Zevi, you've been amazing on this episode, man. Thank you so Thank much you for so being much here. For this has me. been, it's been great. A great time. No, for real, for real. I have one final question for you. This is my favorite, and it's usually everybody's favorite question. Uh, this is the dream song scenario. So you get a song, all right? You can make this with any artist, dead or alive. Of course, you're the producer, so you will you will be the producer yeah. of it. Usually, we ask artists like who they want to produce and who else they want on the song. Uh, so you get a song. Uh, you get three to four collaborators, so you can get maybe another producer on and some artists. So uh, if you are doing a dream song by Zevi, who is on that song, dead or alive? Take all the time you need. All right. Uh, I'm going to have one more producer. I'm going to put Elenium as the only other producer. Love it. And I want singing. I think I want Chelsea Cutler in there. She's a, also a, a NESCAC soccer player, former. Oh, was she um, really? She played goalie at Amherst uh, for two or three years. Um, She's talented. And Quinn, I'm gonna Quinn Quinn ninety two. Yeah, Quinn ninety two. Quinn, Chelsea Cutler, me and Lanyon, and let's rock it. Rock it! I love that. I think that would be a hit, man. Especially with uh, <laughs> that that type of energy and things of that nature. So I love it, man. Zebby. Great dream song. Great Celtics talk. I loved all Thanks, the singles, Mike. guys. Really, definitely go check this stuff out. Uh, linked all in the description. Zev, tell the people uh, where they can find you. Plug find away. me on Instagram at Zevi Music, um, on Twitter at Zevi Official, TikTok at Zevi Music. Um, whatever else the kids use these days, it's probably at <laughs> Zevi Music. And uh, yeah, I Spotify, Zevi, Apple Music, Zevi, that's whatever Love else. It. Deezer, I guess. Love but, it, man. Uh, Good stuff. Thanks so much, Mike. I had an awesome time. Yeah, no, I loved having you guys. If you're a fan of Zevi coming on to us for the first time, of course, like I said at the beginning of the episode, make sure you subscribe and follow us at Turntable Teachers on Instagram. Hit up our website, www.turntableteachers.com for all the latest blogs and episodes, all that good stuff you guys already know. Make sure you, of course, smash that subscribe button if you have not already. And Zevi, thank you so much for being here, man. We will definitely tune back in Thanks with you at some point. We'll be, we'll be plugging away your music and uh, best of luck to you in, in, in the future, man. Turn, 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 turn.